Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, To Sweat is Human, writes science journalist Sarah Everts, whose new book is The Joy of Sweat. We'll explore the science of what Everts calls our oddly flamboyant way of controlling body temperature and why we spend billions annually on products to hide our natural cooling system, yet also pursue sweaty workouts and saunas. Then we'll talk with the PBS NewsHour's Yamish Alcindor about covering Washington and her hopes as the new moderator of Washington Week. That's all next on Forum. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. And in this hour, we're going to talk about sweat. Sarah Everts, journalist and associate professor in digital science journalism at Carleton University, has written a whole book about it. And honestly, I never realized sweat was so interesting. It's called The Joy of Sweat, The Strange Science of Perspiration. And Sarah Everts, welcome to Forum. Hey, it's great to be here. You really have opened my eyes to how underappreciated sweat is. Uh, For starters, it keeps us alive, right? Yeah, it's our superpower, actually. Um, It's kind of one of the amazing things that, um, yeah, humans do better than almost any other animal. Um, And it's, you know, for better or for worse, allowed us to live almost anywhere in the world and kind of dominate uh, this planet. So yeah, um, it it saddens me when people complain about their sweat. Its main function is to regulate our body temperature, correct? Yeah, so um, when our core temperature uh, rises, uh, our two to five million sweat glands, I have three, I got mine counted, three million, um, uh, they they get the the message to open up and when sweat reaches your skin, um, it evaporates thanks to the body heat that you have and effectively whisks your heat out into the atmosphere. And evolutionary biologists count sweat as 
you know, one of our unique uh, human things like big brains and near nakedness. And in fact, our nakedness provides this amazing platform for evaporation because you can imagine if we were hairier, um, it would be harder to evaporate away sweat, which means it'd be harder to cool down while running and while on the move. And if you think about, you know, dogs, dogs cool down by panting because the only real estate that they have that's naked is their tongue. So they're relying on saliva. <laughs> Meanwhile, we have our, you know, our sweat glands, uh, millions of them, you know, entirely devoted to this one job. Yes, I thought it was so interesting when you were talking about the ways that other animals uh, do try to regulate their temperatures, like uh, like vultures pooping on their legs, I think. You said. <laughs> yes. I mean, when you know what kind of destiny evolution could have dished us, um, sweat is so much better. So for example, seals um, will urinate on themselves uh, to get themselves wet enough so that they can evaporate away their body heat. And, you know, saliva, chimps pant, um, there's poop, there's vomit. And, you know, instead of all of these other bodily fluids that other animals dispatch onto the surface of their bodies to you know, evaporate away their body heat, we not only have uh, glands specifically for this purpose, but we've got, yeah, this enormous real estate, our whole body uh, right. off of which we can do this. So if this is such a unique superpower, why do we try so hard to mask it? You know, I have thought a lot about this, and I think that there's like a couple of things going on. So you know, unlike other bodily functions that could cause us some mortification, like, you know, a burping incident or a fart or, or things like that. I know uh, we've gone there already. Sorry. <laughs> um, so those are our bodily functions you can hold back even just for a microsecond so that you can, you know, step away from a social situation and, you know, deal with it. Whereas sweating, when your body um, gets the cool down directive, there is nothing you can do to stop it. And so it's this kind of, um, you know, it keeps us honest and also it's out of our control. And gosh, uh, in this era of curated online personalities um, and just, you know, in this era of liking to be in control, uh, yeah, sweating just is not something we like to um, to do without uh, being able to control it. And you've also talked about how basically corporate marketing has made us self-conscious about sweating. Yeah, so for most of human history, we've relied on, um, you know, some combination of either, you know, washing uh, with water, maybe soap, and lobbing on perfume to either overwhelm or complement our, our body odor. But, um, you know, it's around the turn of the 20th century that some of these products uh, start getting invented to deal with body odor. And mm, I would odor. like take a real quick segue to say that, you know, that the liquid salty stuff that cools us down, that is not primarily responsible for that stinky pong that comes from your armpits. That's a second kind of sweat gland that gets functional at puberty. And um, its sweat is actually kind of waxy, more like your earwax and it's bacteria living in your armpits that you know eat that earwax 
it's not earwax, but it's more, it's, it's like your wax stuff, and, yeah. and turn it into stink. So, you know, the good news is, you know, you're not really stinky. Bad news is you're stinky because of the bacteria in your armpits. Like I'll leave it to you to decide. Whether that's a, yeah. Okay. So our, our, our body odor comes from, you know, some parts of that salty liquid, but mostly that, that pong in our armpits and is around the 20th century that uh, antiseptics are, are starting to get really uh, popular and uh, anti and deodorants are effectively just antiseptics in your armpits, right? It's killing those bacteria that, that make mm. you stinky and, and antiperspirants um, clog those pores, uh, cutting off the buffet to the bacteria that would wanna dine on your sweat. And around the 1919s um, is when uh, an entrepreneur named uh, Edna Murphy um, really, really, really wants her antiperspirant product called Odor Oh No um, to launch and nobody wants to buy it. <laughs> Um, and this was like the, 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 the situation for a lot of these early entrepreneurs because, you know, it's the tail end of the Victorian era. People are mortified by bodily fluids um, more so than they are now. And, uh, and also everybody thinks, you know, quite frankly, I, you know, I use soap and water. I use perfume. I don't need this product. And so she hires uh, J. Walter Thompson, which is a New York agency. She's based in Ohio and uh, they, they just open an office in, in, I think, Cincinnati. And there's, they hire a guy uh, who is a former traveling Bible salesman uh, to start being a, a copywriter. His name's James Webb. And his idea um, is to put the fear of stink in, in women uh, of America. Mm-hmm. And uh, he comes up with this amazing um, ad that goes something like in the curve of a woman's arm and it goes on to say that you know it should be this beautiful dainty thing but actually it's stinky um and not only is it stinky but there are people gossiping about you um and worst of all it's not going to allow you to find yourself a man it's 1919 right so you're, you're not going to get married and this is called whisper copy this um putting fear of social isolation um which gets used in all sorts of other products and all sorts of other marketing. But, you know, even though uh, many readers of this um, ad, it was published in Ladies Home Journal, were so offended that they canceled their subscription, um, many more were, were motivated to buy Odorono. And soon, like, everybody in the industry is using the same strategy so that, you know, just a few years later, you, you see ads that start off beautiful, but dumb. She's never learned, you know, the truth about long lasting charm, which is, you know, wear deodorant. So there's this other thing uh, at play with our mortification about sweat and it's, you know, manufactured humiliation, um, thanks to marketers. Odor, oh no. I know, <laughs> isn't that the best name? <laughs> Sarah Efforts, Associate Professor and Chair in Digital Science Journalism at Carleton University in Ottawa, is here with us talking about her new book, The Joy of Sweat. What are your questions about the science of sweat, listeners? Are you self-conscious about sweating, or do you seek out opportunities to work up a good sweat? You can tell us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED forum or email us forum at kqed.org. So I was really surprised to learn, Sarah Everts, about the components of sweat, that it is sourced from the liquid parts of blood. Can you talk about this? 
Right, yeah. So um, the way it works is that um, we need to dispatch some bodily fluid uh, to the surface of our skin. And so your sweat glands source effectively what's called interstitial fluid. And interstitial fluids is the liquid that kind of permeates the inside of your bodies. And, and that's sourced from blood plasma. So effectively, sweat is blood minus the big stuff like red blood cells and, and platelets which means that anything circulating in your sweat, uh, circ sorry, circulating in your blood can come out in your sweat, um, both the good stuff and, and the bad stuff. Um, so, you know, vitamins, hormones, glucose, you know, your body's energy molecule, as well as, you know, stuff your body would like to get rid of. But this uh, leads me to like the biggest sweat myth around, which is that it's a detox strategy, right? No, because if you were to detox by sweat, sweating, because sweat is sourced from the liquidy parts of your blood, you would have to lose all the liquidy parts of your blood, leaving you completely dehydrated and probably dead. So instead, you know, your blood is filtered by your kidney, um, which, you know, takes out the nasty stuff and dispatches it in pee. Um, and your sweat is, you know, just for cooling and anything that's coming out, whether it's good or bad, um, you know, is just along for the ride. It's it's there incidentally. Incredible. So sweat is not a chemical detox, but uh, we have about a minute, but can you tell the story of the nurse in South Africa and what that helped you realize about how this comes out in sweat, the things that come out in sweat? Right. So uh, we've all had a hard night of hummus or alcohol and, you know, we come out stinking of, of garlic or, or perhaps booze. But this uh, woman uh, shows up in a dermatology office because her sweat has turned red and they do not know what the heck is going on. And finally, they track it down to her obsessive predilection for this spicy tomato corn chip. <laughs> and uh, she was drinking like 40 uh, drinking eating 45 bags a week and and oh so she, she like the the red flavoring dyes um were percolating out in her sweat in part because her her blood was just chock full of of yeah of this of this chemical so yeah anything can come out in sweat and you know mostly it's not colorful but uh, another guy who drank too much cranberry juice also turned his sweat red another one who was obsessed with uh, a laxative that had a yellow coating turned his yellow yeah there are some cases of, of chrome hydrosis um which uh yeah takes the whole taboo and stress and anxiety about sweating to a whole nother level because you're literally sweating you know, colorful sweat. Wow. Well, let me add as one of my listener questions, what do you think is in your sweat? <laughs> you can, we'll be talking more about sweat and you can share your thoughts after the break. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. We're talking about sweating on Forum. Today, I'm Mina Kim. Why do we sweat? What is the human biology that drives it? Joining us is Sarah Everts, Associate Professor and Chair in Digital Science Journalism at Carleton University in Ottawa. Her new book is The Joy of Sweat, The Strange Science of Perspiration. And you, if you have questions about the science of sweat, 
want to tell us, are you a self-conscious sweater or do you seek out opportunities to work up a good sweat? Or what do you think is in your sweat after hearing what can come out? You can call us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org and Clive in Woodacre. Join us. Hi, Clive. Yes, good morning. Um, I, I sweat profusely. I, I dance, I exercise, but the stuff comes pouring off me at the first opportunity. And yet there are people I know who I dance with who, whose clothing is bone dry at the end of the <laughs> session. And I just want to know what's the big difference. Yeah, great question, Clive. Sarah Everts? Yes, I love this question and uh, all the solidarity. It's you and me both. Um, so uh, your sweat rates or how much you sweat um, is kind of a mix of nature and nurture. So uh, the genetic component is, you know, how many sweat glands you have and how quickly that sweat is, you know, propelled out to the surface. Um, so your sweat flux rate. Um, and, you know, some people uh, are just sweatier than others. But then there's this really interesting nurture part, too, because we're born with all of our sweat glands, um, but they're not active until the toddler years. And in those early years, um, your body is kind of learning about the environment around you um, and kind of adjusting these sweat rates uh, to, you know, where, you know, the climate that you, you live in. And so, you know, ultimately you have this baseline um, that you can blame on your parents, uh, both for, you know, the genetics they contributed and, you know, where you spent your early toddler years. But, you know, there is also this thing called acclimatization, right? And, um, you know, athletes that are, for example, going to Tokyo or in Tokyo right now for the Olympics, it's super hot and sweaty there. And um, their bodies uh, are acclimatized because they've probably been working out to, to increase their sweat rates so that they can cool down faster and, and have a better high performance in, in really hot weather. Because of course, if your body's uh, busy trying to cool you down and hasn't gotten used to that environment, um, you might not be at your best performance. So, you know, it sounds like, um, you know, you probably have a, a sweaty baseline. I don't know if your, your family's sweaty, mine certainly is, um, or, you know, where you spend your, your young years, perhaps in a, in a very cold environment um, that didn't uh, get you ready for, you know, how your life would, would end up being as a mm. dancer. Well, Clive, thanks for that question. And I did find that so interesting in the sense of your body anticipating overheating or preemptively activating sweating based on what it's learned. Uh, let me go to call a Renessa in San Francisco. Hi, Renessa. Yeah. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm I'm an active sweater, and, and I'm 52 years old, and I have been for a long time. When I would go dancing in the 80s with my friends, I would be the one sweating, and they would still have the makeup intact. And so I've had to adjust my life because I, I ride my bike in the city, and I have since college, and I have to work. And so I've had to take jobs that don't I don't have to dress up. I have to go out on dates with people that don't mind if I come in a little bit, you know, 
sweaty and messed up, but I drink a lot of water. I don't drink sodas or too much coffee, so the sweat glands there aren't haven't in thirty years haven't been emanating. You know the the smell of like you said the Doritos or the, the ship lady, <laughs> but um, I have had to adjust my lifestyle to make sure I can accommodate to just let myself sweat. And I would never live in a humid place. I know that I would never live in Atlanta or something because I would just be sweating all day long, and that's. You know, that would dehydrate me, too. But thank you for I just wanted to point that out. (laughs) And then for during when you date somebody, when when I go on dates and I have to meet them and I'm riding my bike and it's at the top of the hill and I have to, you know, kind of present myself if I'm sweating. It's 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 odd. But, you know, in San Francisco, there's people that don't. that don't mind that anymore but any longer i mean it has come around but still yeah um, sweating is natural and it's good for your skin and it really yes. helps keep me healthy i think so i agree I Vanessa. And I have to say, I, I, what you're underscoring for me is just how much it really does affect your life, how how sweat, how important sweat is both culturally as well as biologically, Sarah Everts. This listener tweets, sweat feels pretty useless to me when it's more than a very thin film, and I hate the feeling of it or any other liquid all over my skin. The sister's comment reminds me of what you studied, which is how much information you can derive from just a tiny amount of sweat. Can you talk about having your sweat tested and what you learned from that and how you had it tested? Yeah, sure. So uh, I went to a forensic chemist who tested the chemical makeup of my sweat based on only a fingerprint. So uh, a fingerprint, you know, is actually just uh, inked in sweat. It's just a little bit of sweat we let leave behind. And most forensic uh, scientists are, are interested in the whirls and swirls, right? They want to compare how it looks to a criminal database. But what if... Uh, a crime scene um, fingerprint doesn't make a match with, you know, a known, you know, person of interest. So what forensic scientists have kind of done as a next level thing is is to try and figure out um, identifying features of people from their sweat. And so, you know, because it's sourced from the watery parts of blood, anything that's circulating in your blood that's small could come out in your sweat. And so uh, when I had my index finger tested just from one fingerprint, she could tell that I had had a morning coffee, which is okay, not the biggest vice to have. (laughs) But had I, you know, spiked it with uh, some vodka or done a line of cocaine or done anything else, (laughs) um, that also would have come out in my sweat. And in fact, she has, you know, analyzed fingerprints uh, for law enforcement and, you know, from one single fingerprint found that a stalker um, had been, you know, consuming alcohol and cocaine, but, you know, biomarkers of disease are coming out in sweat. And so there's these dystopian surveillance um, applications that do concern me. So for example, you could imagine an employer, um, you know, lifting a fingerprint uh, from your office cubicle desk and, you know, telling whether you came in to work intoxicated, intoxicated, sorry, or a health insurer um, trying to figure out if you had a a pre-existing condition. And, you know, that's just from a fingerprint. And most of us drip a lot more than that, right, onto our yoga mats and elsewhere. And, you know, so the the flip side of that is this biomonitoring, you know, industry where, you know, we all have our Fitbits and, 
other things keeping track of our heart rate and our steps. But you can imagine uh, a Band-Aid like patch uh, on your arm that collects a sweat and then maybe analyzes it and sends a digital signal to your smartphone that says, um, hey, Sarah, you might want to skip that last drink or, or perhaps take a cab because uh, we're detecting, you know, high levels of alcohol or, you know, a coach uh, on the sidelines of a big match uh, analyzing the sweat of players on the field and seeing that, you know, one player's got, you know, biomarkers of stress or exhaustion hmm. and, oh, time to switch that person out to, you know, ensure a win or, or at least to try to. So, you know, there's these interesting applications um, and also ones that could be very alarming because, honestly, we leave we leave our sweat everywhere. Yes, clearly. <laughs> Let me go to Corey in Oxnard next. Hi, Corey. Hi. Um, my question, I was wondering if everyone sort of sweats from the same areas of their body because I tend to only mainly sweat from my neck, and I was wondering if there's any reason for that or anything I can do about it. Is that normal? Oh, wow, Corey, thanks. Great question. So uh, I'd love to tell you the story of Victor Miner, who was a scientist in Russia in the early 20th century, and he had this exact question. And so he painted 106 subjects with iodine. Um, you know, that's that purpley liquid that you normally use to like, you know, make your water safe to drink. Um, and so he, he painted all these people with iodine, let it dry, so they looked like they were wearing really cheap fake tan. And then he powdered them with uh, cornstarch, um, and then he put them into a sauna and took time-lapse photos of what happened. And so these people started to sweat, and wherever they started to sweat, it would dissolve the iodine that was, um, you know, painted onto their skin. And uh, leak through past the cornstarch, creating this like huge contrast, right? And he was interested in, in, you know, finding out, you know, is there a place that we all start to sweat? Or do we have, you know, all a higher density of sweat glands in one place, like our butt, or maybe our neck or our back. <laughs> and he found out that, you know, we're all really, really different. And um, where you start to sweat is different from me. And, you know, I think that that's probably just your genetics. We're talking with Sarah Everts. Her book is The Joy of Sweat, The Strange Science of Perspiration. You, our listeners, are with us asking great questions and sharing great stories. 866-733-6786. You're doing it at that number. You're emailing us, forum at kqed.org. We're getting in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Your questions about the science of sweat, your experiences with sweat or Maybe you want to tell us what you think is in your sweat. Um, I know you said, Sarah Everts, that sweat is not detoxifying. Uh, but you mentioning saunas just now makes me wonder why, though, when we sweat a lot, do we feel cleansed? Like, why do we feel amazing after a heavy sweat? People who do hot yoga, too, or things like that. Like, what is it then? Super great question. Um, so yeah, uh, sweating is not a chemical detox strategy. So you're not actually get ridding, getting rid of, of nasty chemicals that way. However, um, when you sweat a lot, what is actually happening is your blood starts rushing 
by, your heart starts beating faster because effectively what it's trying to do is push hot blood from your interior uh, up to the surface of your skin so that it can cool down as it swooshes by from the sweat evaporation and then return to your hot core interior. And so this turns out to be a workout for your heart with a lot of knockdown effects in terms of happy biochemistry. So you produce um, uh, epinephrine, you produce endorphins, which are often, you know, uh, thought to be involved in a runner's high. So you get these happy feelings that make you feel um, so euphoric that you think, okay, I've, I've just detoxed emotionally. Um, I must also have detoxed chemically. But, you know, whereas the former is true, the latter is not. And so you're, you're producing these happy chemicals when you either, you know, exercise profusely or sit in a sauna profusely. And it's also actually good for your health. So a lot of spas make a lot of spurious um, claims. So sweating in a sauna does not cure cancer. But what it does do is it gives your heart a workout. And this, uh, in a very large Finnish study over many decades, um, showed that, you know, people who sweat uh, in a sauna four times a week um, had uh, a lower incidence of cardiac arrest um, and other uh, heart disease. So, yes, there are some, you know, emotional benefits and even some health benefits uh, to sweating profusely in a sauna or, you know, uh, a banya or, you know, a jimjilbang, it's what they do in Korea. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's... It's not a chemical detox strategy. You are not um, getting rid of the nasty chemicals in your body because if you did, then you would have to completely dehydrate all the liquid in your blood and that would be bad. Mm. Well, Mary writes, I had a problematic relationship with my mother. The smell of my own body when I'm nervous or upset is very distressing to me because it smells like my mother did. As a result, I'm careful to use deodorants that I would otherwise avoid. Lucy writes, I noticed sweat has very distinct smells depending on whether it comes from exercise versus stress. My sweat was extra stinky when I was teaching my daughter to drive. Can you explain the difference? Absolutely. So we all have our unique body odor print, right? Um, the one that uh, distinguishes you from me and allows, say, a dog to track um, us based on just, you know, a t-shirt. But there is a, a top note, what, what researchers in the field call a top note um, to anxiety sweat. And this actually stems from law enforcement uh, and an observation that when people come in for interrogation, they smell of themselves. But uh, after they leave, after being questioned and effectively stressed out, they all smell the same of this uh, very potent anxiety odor. And when scientists kind of followed up to, uh, on this uh, anecdote, um, they found it to be true. So for example, they gave people t-shirts to wear that were tight and put them in front of either a nature documentary or a really scary movie. <laughs> and, uh, and then they you know, took the t-shirts um, and gave them to a panel of sniffers. And uh, the, the perfect strangers could say, yes, that person was nervous or, or stressed out versus not. And, you know, the, the major funder uh, interested in this is, is actually the military, because you can imagine that in a 
situation like a tank. Um, if one person starts to sweat out of anxiety and it's such a potent odor um, that others in this closed environment could, could sniff it and perhaps also uh, become afraid and it might compromise a mission. And so they're mm. interested in trying to actually find in the hundreds of chemicals that are floating off of armpits and into our noses, which one of those is responsible for this anxiety top note so that they can perhaps um, capture it and, and sequester it like you would a, a poison gas or you know maybe CO2. Um, but to date, chemists have not managed to pluck um, which of, of those hundreds of chemicals is actually responsible for anxiety, um, but they're certainly working on it. Wow. Well, let me go to caller Nadine in El Cerrito. Hi, Nadine. Hi there. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. Well, thank you for this, this show. I am calling because I recently started a relationship with someone who uh, just loves sweat. <laughs> and and <laughs> Yay. he isn't, yeah, he's not, he's not only is he not afraid of it, but he's, he welcomes it. And he, that um, James Webb ad campaign made me think of him because the curve of the arm is something that he really likes. And um, what it has done for me is it's given me permission to like it too, and wow. in myself and in him. And I just feel like it's sort of an intimate step in a relationship that I never would have imagined before. So oh, wow. I know what I'm buying him for his next birthday. <laughs> well, Nadine, uh, I love you're that. Good, you're good. Thank you, Nadine. Um, well, you know, we just have two minutes left, uh, Sarah Everts, but Nadine has prompted me to ask you, how has what you've learned about sweat changed your life? Oh, wow. Um, it's also made me a lot less, um, it's given me serenity instead of shame in all the sweating that I certainly do. Um, I, you know, used to be anxious about how I sweat. I, you know, was kind of mortified by it. And, you know, it was partly the motivation for, for writing the book. I, I kind of thought, you know, I'm a science journalist. I, I know this is our evolutionary superpower. I, I need to know more. And so, yeah, I, I think ultimately, you know, all the sweating that we do is just your body trying its best to keep you alive. And um, I think we should celebrate that. So, yeah, I hope, uh, yeah, it's, it's doing this book has certainly given me sort of a, a perspiration pep talk uh, for myself. So I kind of hope for that for everybody else. Well, Sarah Everts, her new book is The Joy of Sweat, The Strange Science of Perspiration. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about it with us. Really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Sarah Everts is Associate Professor and Chair in Digital Science Journalism at Carleton University in Ottawa. Thank you to our listeners for sharing their stories and asking their great questions. And thank you to Susan Britton for producing this segment. We'll have more forum after the break. Stay with us. Coming up Monday on Forum, we'll talk about the imperiled orcas of the Pacific Northwest with Seattle Times environment reporter Linda Mapes, whose new book explores the southern resident orcas' remarkable intelligence and communication skills, and why their once robust population has fallen so sharply. 
To listen to past shows and subscribe to our podcast, visit kqed.org forum. For the latest updates on our programs and guests, find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We're at KQED Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.